0: Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, because we believe every word of God, and let's take the minutes, I will end promptly at the appointed hour, if you'll give me your rapt attention, and it's not for me, it's for the word of God, and the words of God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, of angelic spirits and all mankind, spoke to the devil and said in verse 15 of Genesis 3, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we have a neuter pronoun. Before that, in the second to last clause, it shall bruise thy head. So we don't have doctrine conveyed yet. The doctrines conveyed in the last clause, and thou, Satan, shalt bruise his heel. Singular male pronoun, his heel. Roman Catholics have pictures and paintings and doctrine to match of Mary standing on a snake. That Mary is the one that destroys the serpent's head, but it's the seed. So does Bob Jones University Art Museum. It's filled with them. It's a fun place to go. Bob Jones Art Museum. You know, I make it there about every 25 years. Uh, It's worth going. All the Catholic doctrine is in there. uh, To see pictures of Mary getting the keys of the kingdom of heaven from God and standing on the serpent. Because they don't understand this verse. It says... In the last clause of that 15th verse, thou shalt bruise his heel, that singular male pronoun is all important. We base our salvation on it, our life in this world and our life in the next world, on that singular male pronoun, and the Roman Catholics are heretics. And our fathers in the faith have believed it and preached it just like that for 2,000 years. Unless they're using the wrong Bible version. Then they can't preach it like that. Now come over to Revelation chapter 2 again so that I can emphasize a word that I used already that I hope you will remember. I tried to show you with a limited array of points that the candlestick that the Lord Jesus Christ threatened to remove from the church at Ephesus was the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Revelation 2.5 Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. That's a, another singular male pronoun referring to that candlestick out of his place because it's the Spirit of Christ that is in those churches. If we go over to chapter 3, and I've mentioned this already. I want to make this so plain to you. Jesus is on the way out of that church. He's knocking at the door, saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. That verse doesn't have a thing to do with salvation. And any preacher that ever uses Revelation 3.20, to try to teach salvation, or what a person needs to do to get saved, doesn't understand the Bible and is teaching heresy. That verse is written to a church that doesn't have the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ that they should have, and they are priding themselves in their other accomplishments and their other possessions rather than Christ. But notice, he's already sliding out in the picture of Laodicea. And that church needed to open the door back up and have him come back in. Can a church lose a candlestick and gain it back? There isn't a verse that says so, but of course. Forgiveness in the Bible and repentance in the Bible covers everything. It's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11 as proper biblical repentance has cleared you altogether from this matter. Uh, Manasseh could be in prison in Babylon, and when he humbled himself greatly before the Lord, he's back on the throne in Jerusalem. David would say, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, but he would add to that, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And But it would require repenting of having forgotten the Lord Jesus Christ and having let other things become important. It would require a great deal of change, like Revelation three twenty. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Repentance changes everything. But we're not trusting on getting the candlestick back. We don't want to lose the candlestick. And so we want to love Christ and benefit from his spirit being with us. First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians three. Just, I just want to tear through some miscellaneous passages of scripture that should cause our hearts to rejoice about the glory, the value, and the purpose of the church. First Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? We should know those two things. Many people, when they read that, read so quickly through the Bible that they just think in terms of 1 Corinthians 6.19 where it says What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So they just, oh, that's talking about my body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. And they go on. This is not your physical body. The context of 1 Corinthians 6, from verses 12 to 18, is very clearly fornication and how when you commit fornication, you're taking the Holy Ghost that's in your body and attaching it to another body that's that's profane and contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Spirit of God. This body is the local church, because from verse 10 forward, it's talking about Paul being a wise master builder and laying a foundation, and it's the church's foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 11, and... uh, other ministers should not build anything else on that foundation except gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, and it says in verse. So it says in verse seventeen, "If any man defile the temple of God." Now, do you know how most Arminians and great and great Southern Baptists would interpret that verse? Don't smoke. That's the de- that's a, that's the deepest they can get in First Corinthians six. When it says, what? Know, know ye not that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't smoke. But 1 Corinthians 6 doesn't have a thing to do with tobacco, alcohol, or playing cards. Right. It, or chewing tobacco. It has to do with fornication. And this one is the foundation of the church and what is built on it. The Apostle Paul built the Corinthian church that the Lord Jesus Christ was to get all the honor and the glory. It had a number of teachers and preachers in that church. That's why when we get over to chapter 15, it says, Why are there some teaching among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so the warning here in verse 17, If any man, and those are preaching men, teachers, pastors, elders, Defile the temple of God. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are. The plurality of ye are. Ye together are the temple. It's not one, it's not one body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Like it is over in 1 Corinthians 6. This is the church. You know, we went through a bunch of temples. We saw Jacob with his house of God. And where he poured oil on a stone, and we saw Solomon built a temple, Zerubbabel built a temple, and now the Lord Jesus Christ has built a temple, and the apostles are the foundation of it, and they've laid a foundation that no other man can lay, and that is Jesus Christ in verse 11. And every other minister that comes along, and that better be true of this pulpit and this church, every other minister that comes along better build upon that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones and leave off all the junk. Six things are listed together. Three are impervious to fire. Three get burned up by fire. And so a man had better take care that everything that is done in this church is for the glory of God and the profit of your souls and with eternity in mind or it's going to get burned up. Every man's work, this is ministerial work, shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it the day of judgment because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss." but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Are you able to understand those verses? If a minister adds wood, hay, and stubble, that means a lot of storytelling like Joel Osteen. If Joel Osteen is... That that if is so big. Let me see. That if is big. If Joel Osteen is a child of God, he'll be saved, yet so as by fire, because his ministerial works are going to be burned up. But he'll receive a reward that a minister that is faithful and adds gold, silver, and precious stones to the foundation... And the gold, silver, and precious stones is not us building a fancy building. The gold, silver, and precious stones are the promises of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of the gospel that aren't burned up by fire but will stand the test of the great day of judgment. It is teaching you how to love each other and to visit each other and to entertain each other and show hospitality to each other so that in the great day Jesus puts you on His right hand and says, You fed me, you clothed me, you visited me. And they'll say, When, Lord? And he'll say, "When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, that'll that stands the test of the fire." Yes. Well, more can be said about the temple because the Bible uses it a number of times. Look at First Corinthians ten. We'll move to another piece of furniture. First Corinthians ten, a table, a table. First Corinthians ten, twenty-one. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. The temples of pagan gods in Corinth had tables on which meat was offered for sale and which you could go in there and chow down. And the, the warning here by the apostle is, don't you mix worshiping in a pagan temple and worshiping in the Christian church at the Lord's table. And the Lord's table is where his sacrifice is remembered. It's not a chunk of meat. It's that little cup of wine and that little piece of broken, unleavened bread that we partake of. That's the Lord's table. It's called the Lord's table because He's in charge of it. It's called the Lord's table because He's the object of it. It's called the Lord's table because He sets the rules for that table. And so we practice strict church discipline in this church in order to keep that Lord's table pure of public sinners. A church's communion is all those who believe the same things and live holy lives. Every public sinner that doesn't repent needs to be put out of the church. And so we practice church judgment in order to protect that piece of furniture. Because that piece of furniture, used more metaphorically than it is literally, even though we use a table to hold the elements when we have communion, is to be protected because it's the Lord's table. So as we go down through the list of our furniture and fixtures of the New Testament church, we land upon the word table, and it's a Bible word. And it's more metaphorical than it is literal, but we protect that table because it's on that table, it's at that table, that we partake of the Lord Jesus Christ symbolically, which a pagan would do by going into a temple of Zeus and eating a big steak that had just been offered to Zeus. Verse 16, "...the cup of blessing which we bless." Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So we've got a cup in the church. The cup of blessing that we bless. The cup is for the wine for communion. Though we use multiple cups, we drink the same blessed wine at the same time for the same purpose. Notice verse the rest of verse 16. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So that cup, when do we bless it? When we give thanks for it. That little prayer, that little prayer that we have when we take the cup is very important because it's called the cup of blessing, which we bless because that prayer separates that wine from every other use but for the Lord's Supper. But there's a, there's a piece of furniture. There's a fixture. You know, in the New Testament church, I know you know about the cup. I just want, that's the Lord's cup. That's the cup of the Lord. That's the Lord's table. That's the table of the Lord. The Lord's Supper six days from now is very important. It's one of the most important events that takes place on this earth. We want to be looking forward to it. We want to be preparing for it. Communion is not an individual ordinance that you can choose to participate in or not. I remember growing up, uh, the first 30 years of my life, uh, and some of you that know me know that that includes some churches. Yeah. Yeah. The first 30 years of my life, if somebody thought that they didn't, they had some unconfessed sins in their lives, do you know what they would do? They would pass it by them. They wouldn't take the bread. They wouldn't take the cup. Now, nobody's probably going to want to raise their hands, but have you ever known anybody that ignorant of the Bible? They think that they're saving themselves from damnation by despising the Lord Jesus Christ by not partaking of the elements. But I had unconfessed sin. Well, that means you've added a second sin by not confessing your unconfessed sin to take the elements to honor the Lord. Where did you grow up? Hear me. It's a congregational ordinance. There's a method to the madness in this church some of the time when I take that attendance with those cups. And I would expect any member of this church If they saw a member pass that by or do something else so that I get confused up here, we have a problem in the church. If you have unconfessed sin, do you know how long it takes to take care of that? Less than one minute. While it's being distributed, confess your sins and then partake. Don't add to it. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to fall under damnation. You're going to fall under double damnation. For knowing, now it becomes a presumptuous sin because you're facing the Lord's cup and you're not confessing your known sins and you're despising Him by not remembering His death till He comes. It says, let a man examine himself. That's a third sin. How far do we go? That's just re, okay. Communion is not an individual ordinance. It's a congregational ordinance whereby we share Our mutual love of Christ. That's why it says the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The common union. The congregational aspect of all of us together agreeing that is our Lord and Savior symbolically. The bread which we break, is it not the communion or the common union of the body of Christ? Keep, keep with me. Verse 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, that one bread being the Lord Jesus Christ, symbolized by the one bread of the communion, because that's how, that's what we're all united around, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Crucifixes. Hey! Do you have that piece of furniture? Down? Well, I put it in my list. Just because I wanted it to be exhaustive, why don't we have one? You know, while we're at it, let's agree that we have no literal crucifixes or crosses in our church. I hope you don't have them in your purse or hanging under your shirt. Why would you want to put the sign of a curse under your shirt? I want to show everybody that I'm a Christian. Oh, is, does the Bible tell you how to show everyone that you're a Christian? Take the bushel basket off your light And get your light on top of a hilltop to where everyone can see that you are the light of the world by obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to show them by wearing a Catholic cross. We don't have any literal crucifixes or crosses in our church. Jesus hasn't been on a cross for 2,000 years. He's exalted at God's right hand. You should have a chair, a throne, hanging around your neck. I, I know that if I came up to you and went, it wouldn't feel good. But it'd be better than a cross. He's been on a throne for 2,000 years. He didn't tell us to make any such thing. Like a cross, such things are condemned. They're graven images. He he did ordain the Lord's Supper to remember the Lord's death till He comes. Not a cross. Galatians 3.13 says that a cross is the sign of a curse. We don't have a steeple out there because that's a sign of a phallus. We don't have a cross at the top of a steeple because that's trying to put the sign of a curse on the sign of a curse. Since since we are still in our sins, if Jesus isn't ridden, risen, you know, an empty casket. You should have a little casket here too. A little casket. Because if Jesus just died on the cross and didn't rise again, we are still in our sins. The apostle reasoned that way, not me. First Corinthians chapter 15. We have oil in the church, but it's not the oil that sometimes you wish we had. Turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. That candlestick, what did it burn? Oil. What kind of oil? I mean, symbolically, what kind of oil? Olive oil. Because over there in Zechariah chapter 4, there were two olive trees that supplied by pipes. By pipes, the olive oil going into that, lamp, that candlestick with seven lamps. This oil... What does it represent? Jesus was given the oil of gladness above his fellows. What was Jesus given more of than any other man? The Holy Ghost. So we have oil in our church. It's part of our candlestick. It's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in our church. But since we're chasing furnitures and fixtures for a few minutes, let's look at oil for a moment. James 5.14 Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Wow! Those are two pretty weighty verses. And guess what? Your pastor's never done them. Is there a reason why your pastor's never done them? Do we have a Bible basis for not doing them? I mean, I feel very ashamed right now. I could have solved all your sicknesses. I could have straightened Alice's legs without trips up north. I could stop seizures. I feel embarrassed. I haven't fulfilled my ministry. What do you do with those verses? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. It doesn't say pray for them. It's pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, what kind of oil do we use? 10W30? WD40? What kind of, we don't even know what kind of oil to use. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. That would be the gift of healing. Was there a gift of healing among the elders of the early church for 40 years? Yes. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where the the gifts of the ministry are listed, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing. Tongues gets way down there at the bottom, which of course the charismatics doing their bottom feeding have come up with the gift of tongues as the most important gift. We believe that in James 5 verses 14 and 15, it is referring to an apostolic gift that was given especially to the Jewish churches. James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, and he is describing something that the Jews knew full, were fully aware of. Because in Mark chapter 6 in verse 13, Mark chapter 6 and verse 13, And the Baptist fathers that have gone before me for 2,000 years understand this passage the same way. That's why you have hardly ever heard of in a conservative Bible following Baptist church ministers praying over the sick and anointing them with oil. Mark 6 and verse 31, Mark 6 and verse 13, Jesus has sent out his disciples to heal. Verse 13, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. The gift of healing by the apostles sent out by Jesus involved the anointing with oil. So I just want to share that with you. I'm not going to spend more time on it because it's not in the direction of this overall subject. If you want to ask more, then go on. Go online to our website, hit that little magnifying glass, type in James 5. Up will pop the outline that will cover those two verses in detail. But do we, do we, we have oil in our church? It's the oil of the Holy Ghost that's fueling that candlestick of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an aroma in our church. It's the savour of the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ of life unto life. Second Corinthians chapter two. We have incense being offered in heaven along with our prayers down here on earth, according to passages that I read you just in the last couple of weeks. Let's go to 1 Peter 2.5. What are the stones that make up the temple of the living God? They're called living stones. And they're chosen by God and placed in the body by His providential mercy in our lives. 1 Peter 2.5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. That is such a great description of the church. You know, we, we would, if, when we think of a temple, do you think of stones? You know, we would need a new category for building. Is this modular? No. Is this a stick building? No. Um, is it a metal building? No. What was a temple really made out of? Stones. Massive stones. Have you read the first few verses of Matthew 24 where the disciples The Jews were so in love with their temple. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. The disciples are saying, Lord, look at this thing. All those massive. You ought to read about the size of some of the stones used in that temple. 40 feet long, 10 feet thick, 10 feet high. Do you know what kind of cubic feet are in a stone like that? Do you know what it takes to move a stone like that? Jesus said, are you impressed by all this? it's going to come down and there won't be two of these stones touching each other. So when we think of a temple, we think of stones because it's the most permanent, because that's what mountains are made out of. We think of something that's very permanent that's never going to go away. And the Lord uses the same kind of terminology with us right here when he says, ye also as lively stones. Now why is that also there? also means that there's a couple things being compared when we back up to verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. He's the stone of God. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's a living stone, and we are lively stones. We're part of His body. We're part of His building. And here's the, the Lord Jesus Christ building up a temple in Greenville, of lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. It's not this building, and even if we were to make our next church a stone building, because it has spiritual significance to us of stones, which might be a little more costly to have a stone building. Oh, there's one downtown that I have yelled in, because I looked at it years ago. It's a little synagogue. It's all stone, even the arched ceiling. Anybody go with me? Many, many years ago, it is all stone. Stone floor, stone walls, and it's arched stone. It's a little synagogue. I got in there, and I let go on a few Bible verses that I knew just to see if it would work. Our singing would hurt your spleen. if we were, It's too small, or we'd have been there. It's too, way, way too small. But uh, a stone house, a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Remember that altar that we have? I said that our altar from Hebrews 13.10 was the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Do we get to offer sacrifices on that altar of His finished work? Right here. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Can you believe the privileges we have in this house of God? We are a holy priesthood. Not like the Levitical priesthood that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Because we're offering them on the altar of His finished work. You know what Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That goes up to heaven. It is acceptable to God because it was offered upon the altar of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is the privilege, the glory, and it's just a sampling of all that the Bible has to say about being part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a king. You are a priest. It's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 that says that the Lord Jesus Christ has made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. What a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's not the pastor that's a king and a priest. It's the congregation that's a ki- congregation of kings and priests. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Do you know what mountain we stand upon? We're talking about buildings and properties. Under our property listings, it says Mount Zion. Right, Because we've got Mount Zion. Do you know what the Seventh-day Adventists want? Mount Sinai. Yeah, they want Mount Sinai. All they can think about are the Ten Commandments, one of which is the, the Sabbath day. So, the, oh, everyone I write, I say, please, please come over to us and join us on Mount Sinai, worshiping with the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles instead of running back to Mount Sinai. Did I say Mount Zion? Did I get confused? Thank you. Okay, let's start that one over again, if I can remember it. I like to exhort them to come over to Mount Zion and join us worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly Jerusalem under the rules of the New Testament instead of being pretend Jews going back to the Old Testament running up to Mount Sinai. It's ridiculous. We have Mount Zion. Praise the Lord. It was called the stronghold of Zion because what was on top of that mountain? A fort. It was so, it was so secure that the Jebusites stood on that thing and said, unless you take away the lame and the blind, you'll never be able to take this, David and Joab. Unless you, t- you know, we, we are guarding this citadel with our lame and our blind. You know what I'm doing. The Jebusites because it was called Jebus, the capital of the Jebusites. Just, oh yeah. Unless you take away the lame and the blind, you're never going to get this city. You know what the next words are? So David took the stronghold of Zion. Yes! Oh, but we have the son of David. And he's on a Mount Zion. It's described in Hebrews chapter 12. And we are come unto Mount Zion by being in here today, baptized members of this church. We have come unto Mount Zion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve any of that. And forget David taking Jebus. The Lord Jesus Christ took the devil and death and sin and hell and destroyed it and tore the bars open of that grave and ascended up into heaven where he is forevermore. Save us from wood, hay, and stubble, Lord. Let us only add gold, silver, and precious stones of your doctrines and your promises. Matthew chapter 13. Lord, forgive me. I did send them links so that they could hear the other sermons. There's there's so much matter. It's out there called, what is a church? It was November of 2011. It's been three and a half years already. That blows my mind. Do you remember that night that I stood here with a PowerPoint projector and we looked at pictures of a predestinarian church back in, in Illinois, a hundred years ago, and I was comparing what's a church, what's not that was three and a half years ago, brethren. Matthew 13:52, we've got a treasure chest. It's one of our furnitures, it's part of our furniture and fixtures. Matthew 13:52 then said he unto them, "Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old." First Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4.1 puts it this way. As Paul speaks about himself and the gospel ministry, he says, Let a man so account of us. Here's how you should look at a faithful minister of Christ. As of the ministers of Christ, stewards, a steward is, is a financial official. He's the treasurer. A steward of the mysteries of God. Opening the treasure box and pulling out the mysteries. You know where I would go to get started, don't you? And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. That is what we want our church to be about. That is what your lives need to be about. Make your family around the Lord Jesus Christ. Exalt the high King of heaven before He comes for us before he comes and says, what is that ugly fig tree in Luke 13 doing in my vineyard? Cut it down. And I say, let me dig and dung around it for another year, then you come and cut it down. He's heard that many times from me. He's never failed me because I'm not trying to fail him. He tells me what to do in Luke 13. I never want to cut anyone down. I want him to make it visible. Sometimes you have hassled me, bothered me, asked me, Why is that person still a member in our church? Because we're going to be gracious and we're going to dig and dung as long as we can and let the Lord do the cutting. It's just the safest way to do things. And I love the way He's done it. I don't care how long He takes. Because you know why I don't care how long He takes? And do you know how I answer those of you that ask me, why does it take God so long to judge at times? Because I love God's long-suffering because I need it more than anyone else. I love His long-suffering. And we're supposed to co- account the long-suffering of God as our salvation. It's twice in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 15. Thank you, Lord. Let's close with Isaiah 11. I'm going to keep my word to you. There's links. If you, felt, if you feel deprived today, go home and listen and follow along with the PowerPoint slides for What is a Church? Because it's a whole different set of views of the church. It's not furniture and fixtures like I've used today and that I have more here. It is, what is a church? You know, it's it's a repository of Scripture. It's, it's a company of counselors. When the Bible says that safety is in a multitude of counselors, where do you go to get that multitude of counselors? Right the Church of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the Bible would say about those counselors? They shall judge angels. They can easily take care of the small things of this life. That's 1 Corinthians 6, the first three or four verses. It just goes on and on. Brethren, it's, it's one of my... F- this is not some little religious Sunday thing to do. Right. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the temple of the living God. It is, it is fixed on Mount Zion. We have been given the testimony of Israel... We have the Spirit of the Living God dwelling in us as a body directing us together. And we are going to celebrate next Lord's Day because He's called, it to, called us to it by the calendar, by Nehemiah chapter 8, by the Feast of Charity in Jude chapter 1 verse 12. We're going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have the Lord's Supper first before we ever go feed ourselves. One more verse. Hebrew, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Romans 15 and verse 12. That is Jesus Christ. We are the Gentiles. We have sought to him because he drew us by opening our hearts, opening our eyes, so that we would want Christ, and we have found His rest to be glorious. We can have a feast of charity. We can get together like this, and love the fact that we're on Mount Zion, that we can love each other. This should be the most secure place that you have in the whole world. You can come in here of any economic status, any educational level, any source of birth, and be one with us. We don't care about Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female, when it comes to our inheritance in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. In that day, that is the Gospel day of the Apostle Paul Part of that we are part of, 2,000 years, 1,900 years later, there shall be a root of Jesse that would grow up out of the dead trunk of Jesse. Job explains it very carefully, and I've explained it to you before. When a tree dies... That tree can revive from life that is still in the center of it and a new spring come up out of it. Jesse's dead. David's dead. But the son of David isn't. And he's our Savior. And in his name I close. Amen. Amen.